Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for another episode of Great Moments in Weed History. We've got a very special episode for you today. We've got an interview with the leading man from Dazed and Confused, Jason London himself. And he's going to take us through the history of this fantastic movie, which was an early one to depict stoners as just a bunch of regular kids getting wild and doing their thing on the last day of school. Isn't that right, Bean? Yeah, it is one of my favorite movies. It is one of the great filmed hangouts of all time. And it gives me a feeling we just, you know, just rewatching it to get ready for this interview of school is out for the summer and that scene where they're just pouring out of the school and rushing to get high and the feeling of release I think is something that we're all kind of I'm quite a ways from my last day of school (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I have that feeling for the first time in a long time like the summer is starting it's full of possibilities and it's time to enjoy life and get high again yeah absolutely i think after being cooped up for a year and a half we're all feeling that vibe and you know there's really nothing quite like it you feel that energy we've all experienced it your responsibilities have come to an end and now it's just time to have fun and of course for randall pink floyd our main character Those responsibilities are threatening to creep into his chill time. And Jason tells us a lot of really fun behind-the-scenes anecdotes in this interview. And it turns out that the filming of this movie may have been even weedier than the movie itself. Yeah, I'll give one little preview just so you know what we're getting into. Because for us, the, the great moment here is not necessarily the film, which is a, a, a great film in and of itself and a great portrayal of cannabis. But dig a little deeper and the making of this film is the great moment in weed history. And just a little preview at one point, they smoked the entire city of Austin, Texas out of all of its weed. Yeah, that is pretty epic. And this thing became a cult classic, a famous film against all the odds. Very few people believed that this was going to be the phenomenon that it actually turned out to be. And thanks to Richard Linkletter's creativity and determination and a true feat of casting, Not only did this movie come out and become a massive hit over time, but it launched the careers of some huge, huge actors. The cast includes Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, Renee Zellweger, Anthony Rapp, Adam Goldberg, Mila Jovovich. And you can see why these actors just being themselves really made this movie feel real. It made it feel like you're hanging out with a real group of friends. And the film itself has a real indie spirit to it. It was put out by uh, a major studio, but Richard Linklater, all of his experience in filmmaking is very DIY, very punk. His first film basically cost in the low five figures, uh, and they were (laughs) able to make something with Slacker that got the attention of Hollywood, but he made Dazed and Confused on his own terms with his own crew of people. 
from Texas that he came up with. And that, to me, comes through in the film in a way that makes it real, that we're constantly kind of talking on this show about how Hollywood and the entertainment industry don't really get our culture and constantly fuck up trying to portray our culture. And here's an example of a film that gets everything right about weed at a very specific time and of course the whole world embraced it we're still talking about this film uh which was set on may 28th 1976 uh so that's why we're releasing our our episode now and the film was released in 1993 and here we are in 2021 still caught up in that whole world that they created yes exactly and in this sort of rambling story, the grounding factor is our main character, Randall Pink Floyd, who's played, of course, by Jason London. And it's about his struggle against his coach's desire for him to conform and sign this contract that says, I'm not going to do any drugs. I'm not going to party. I'm just going to focus on football. And this guy says, fuck all that, which we can all relate to, right? Absolutely. People kind of peg this as a film about nothing, but it's really about this huge issue of are you going to let other people define your life or are you going to do what you, in this case, Randall Pink Floyd, want to do? And just want to say really how much we appreciated Jason London, uh, not just coming on the show, but representing. He is a real weed enthusiast. We decided to reach out to him because in a new book that just came out, All Right, All Right, All Right, which is an oral history of Dazed and Confused, turns out he was the guy who had the weed room for the whole production of the film where everybody hung out to smoke. Yeah, Jason got high with us. He chopped it up with us. It was really chill and the interview turned out fantastic. All right, so before we get into it, just a little bit of housekeeping. Thanks so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate you and we've got a lot of fantastic content exclusively for our patrons. And if you are not a patron, Please check us out. Just Google Patreon and Great Moments in Weed History and you can throw us a buck or two and get in on some of this bonus content. We would be absolutely delighted. So please just check us out. And if you don't have a few bucks to spare, it's all good. Please keep listening to the show and just do us a solid and tell some of your friends about it. So with all that said and done... I've got a little fatty rolled up here. But, uh, you know, if you're not ready yet, if you don't have a joint rolled or a bowl pack or a blunt split or a dab ready to dabulate, it's cool. No worries, man. Just hit pause. We'll be right here when you come back. And when you come back, we'll be ready for another great moment in weed history. Hey, how's it going, folks? Welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. Our guest for this episode is the star of the 1993 Richard Linkletter film, Dazed and Confused, a bona fide stoner classic. Jason London, welcome to the program. So glad to be here, guys. I, I, I don't know if I'm a bona fide stoner, but the movie is, you know, definitely. 
Well, the, you know, stoner. well, no, the thing is, is that one of the things I always wanted to talk about with people is that, you know, I, I love that it became sort of like a, a stoner sort of classic or whatever. But if you look at the movie, it is actually, it's not a, a movie about smoking weed. It's actually a movie about just that specific time in history. And everybody happened to smoke some herb and whatever. But I don't like it to be just associated with weed because there's so many wonderful parts of that movie. It's a movie. Yeah. It's a movie about the graduating class of 1976, the bicentennial year, and it's about where society was at the time. So it's really not just about smoking weed. Yeah, you know, I think that's really one of the wonderful things about it is that the cannabis use is incidental. It doesn't necessarily stereotype a cannabis user as one kind of person. It shows that this is a social lubricant for all types of different people and it's just something in the background of the trials and tribulations of their lives. absolutely, and also it was it was a way to and, and you got to think about this: the weed that we smoke now is three hundred times stronger than what they had to smoke back then. It was like they I were fucking sm- hope so. They were smoking hay. They were smoking like literally like <laughs> go out and pick up some grass in your yard and like smoke that. That's what they were smoking hey, with seeds and everything and all that. You know, I have a, a very clear memory of my dad, you know, and he, he might get mad at me if I say this, but it still is a great memory. We, I don't know if we were on a road trip or whatever it was, but my dad's driving and he's deceding his shitty weed <laughs> and rolls a joint with one hand as he's driving and then start, and smokes it. Legendary. <laughs> Legend. My dad, I, I would say my dad is the... Uh, yeah, he was the he was the the inspiration for Randall Pink. That's really cool. That's quite an image. That that's an image from the seventies. But it, but but I'm right? telling you, I can't make you can't make this shit up. It really actually happened. Like he would literally just with one hand, like this. Yeah, it's it's a difficult skill. You know, I, I've been able to do every step of rolling a joint while driving, except for the final swoop. You know what I mean? It's like I can grind the weed, I can get the paper out, roll the tip, all that stuff. But you need two hands to get that swoop, to tuck the corner in and then, you know, roll uh, it around. Excuse me, apparently you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the original version of that was doing it on horseback. So it's a, it's a pretty long <laughs> yeah. tradition. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, everybody knows George Washington smoked gruesome herb. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We know, we know Slater told us. George Washington, man, he was in a cult. And the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. George toked weed. Yeah. Absolutely, George toked weed. Are you kidding me, man? He grew fields of that stuff, yeah. man. That's what I'm talking man. about. Fields. He, he grew that shit up in Mount Vernon, man. Mount Vernon, man. He grew it all over the country, man. He had people growing it all over the country, you know? The whole country back then was getting hot. Let me tell you, man, because cause, cause he knew. He was on to something, man. He knew that it would be a good cash crop for the southern states, man. And so he grew fields of it, man. But you know what? Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. Well, to get to your point from earlier, I actually, uh, as Abdullah said, I, I think what's great is that there's a broad range of characters who incidentally use cannabis. And what tracks for real life with me is that it is 
uh, weed is something that breaks down those barriers between different cliques or different quote unquote types of people. Man, you, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, there's nothing like there's nothing like a, a, a get to meet a new person than they walk up and you just go pop. Well, why why don't we maybe if we could start at the beginning of your experience with the film? What was your when did that journey begin for you with Days of Confused? Um, what happened was you know I I had done a few films and and then I moved to L.A. and I met a few friends and I started to smoke some herb and um, I honestly felt like for the first time in my life I was able to like just do whatever the fuck I wanted to do and so I grew my hair out long I had never I was a, I was a country kid that had like tight hair like you know my granddad used to do that damn bowl cut it was awful um, so but uh, I finally grew my hair out um, had started smoking a little bit um, and I got an opportunity to go in to um, to Universal Studios to uh, Don Phillips' office, and I'm sitting in the. I'm sitting in the, you know it's almost like a waiting room to, to audition. It's it's they had picked like the top like, I'd say a hundred people to that they wanted for each role, and we had to go in and we had to audition. All of a sudden, they started cutting people off so that people have to go home, and so if you were there like three hours later and they ordered pizza for you, you're like, okay, I'm still in the game. And so we, we kept going back in and we kept auditioning. And then finally, we got assigned the roles, the character roles. And it was me and Rory and Cole and Sasha. We all went in and, you know, just vibed. And so at the end of the, at the, end of the day, there was, it went from 100 people to, down to the cast. And Richard Linklater, who had been quiet the whole day, had been back in the corner of the room. It had all been Don Phillips. We didn't even know that that was Richard Linklater. He finally comes out and introduces himself and goes, Hey, I'm Rick. I'm the one that wrote this thing. Um, you're my cast. When you arrived for that audition, um, sort of, how much did you know about the project itself? And how much did you know about uh, Linklater? Because I have to say, like, I'm a huge fan of his first film, Slacker. Were you aware of that film? Did you nope. know what Days of Confused was about? Dude, Slacker freaked me out. <laughs> I thought it was going to be. I thought. It was, I, I thought it was one of the weirdest movies I ever saw. Then I watched it again. The first time oh, I watched. Weed. No, no, no. Oh, probably, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but, but. You know, it was one of those movies that I just didn't get at first, and then I watched it again, and I, I realized the genius of it. There's no way to describe it other than the original script of Daisy and Fuse read like a techno manual. Like, it was so many characters. It was so much shit going on. You couldn't even... Tr All you had to do was find your character and track that character. Because if you had to track everybody's character, you, you had no chance whatsoever. And so the original script, I was like, well, I, I, I like the character. I just don't understand the. I don't understand the movie. And I happen to know because I, I, I also want to give some credit to this book. All right, all right, all right. The oral history of Dazed and Confused uh, by Melissa Mares. Because uh, I happen to know from reading that book that you uh, deployed another secret weapon during the auditions. Uh, 
says that you and, <laughs> and Rory uh, might have smoked a joint during the audition process. It was the weirdest thing, man. I, I was... So we had been going through like session after session after session, like auditioning with different people, hooking like people like the combining people and all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm like off the bus. Like I'm not, I'm kind of like, you know, even though I'd done a couple movies, I'd really had not been in LA that long. And we're sitting just right outside his office and Rory lights up a joint. And this like, is in the '90s. Weed is pretty illegal. Oh, at this it was point. Not, no not, medical not, marijuana. No, 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 not pretty illegal. <laughs> Completely illegal. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially where you came. Where Where did you grow up? Uh, and, I and, I grew up mostly in Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, that's yeah. about right. so the very, most very illegal. illegal. And still, well, no, Oklahoma actually is not that way now, but Texas is still. Texas is. Oh still, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Oklahoma is like uh, full medical now. Yeah, they have dispensaries. Our friend Giddy Up, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, one of the progenitors of Live Resin, so we all uh, can thank him for that. But he's from OK City, and he's over there. He's got dispensaries. Yeah, there my dad. So, my, yeah, there's that, a weed game. Yeah, my dad. My dad, who's my dad, has has had health issues for a while or whatever. And once this came through, he was just he's on cloud nine. He's just like, I'm so glad that I can. I don't have to worry about it. I can. You know he can do do the edibles and the things that he likes to do, whatever, and yeah, uh, yeah and it makes him feel so much better. He's got you know diabetes, things like that. So it just it really helps him. Yeah, know? we love to hear that because you know that is. I mean, for a lot of people, it's a challenge to get their parents to try medical cannabis. But well, in your case, your dad has been cool. Since I, the I 70s. told you, my dad's been my dad's been rolling it with one hand since the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> He would all the, the most amazing thing was like we, I, mean, I think back on it, you know, I'm old enough to remember that. It was that the, it they all had seeds. It was pretty much like all just seedy shit. So he would he would deseed it and then crunch it and roll it. Yeah, he did, and he, I, he can probably tell us a little bit about that that history. When did seedless weed uh, become more ubiquitous, Bean? Um, you know, late seventies and and really through the eighties and the nineties, but the 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 seedless weed does go back thousands of years. But uh, I, apparently now, people, if you go to Oklahoma, on the side of the road is the uh, uh, plants that grew from Jason's father throwing Dude, that's seeds di- out. Oh, yeah, the Dude, that's, some, that's some ditch <laughs> weed. You don't want ditch weed. You talk about a headache. Oh man, that's a two day headache right there. Uh, but take us back to, you know, so you're in the audition, you're inside, in the lobby, and uh, Rory just lights up a cannon, and, and what, what's your reaction? I had no choice but to grab it and take a puff. I thought if this guy has the, and he, he, was in, he, he would go into character and he would be that way, and I'd be like, you know, if this is what we're working for right now, then let's do this. Let's do this. And I will say this too, you know, when we did the when we did the film, you know, it's not legal at all on set to do that. So the weed that you see us smoking in the movie, you know, unfortunately was this sort of like lavender tea bullshit that made you wanna, made you want to puke. It was awful. So, yeah, so actually I have some experience smoking fake weed. Uh, the only show I've ever acted in is called High Maintenance. Uh, and I'm one of the only people who would sneak real weed onto the show. Well, I'm not saying that things didn't go, uh, you know, we were out in the woods, so I'm not saying that things didn't happen there. 
<laughs> but uh, technically on camera, yeah, we couldn't we couldn't do that. And yeah. do, you, do you think this enhanced your your uh, audition that day? And and what have what did you kind of learn from that experience? You know, I've it's funny. Somebody sent me my audition. Man, I was skinny as fuck. I had wore this goofy yellow shirt. I don't even remember what was on it. Uh, but for some reason, I was calm as a cucumber, and just like it, it just went really well. It was just something that I. I it, it's like the shoe that fits. And it was, it was just, it just, when I read it and when I, when I learned it, I was just like, this is me, you know? And so you go in there, you're stoned, you nail the audition. How soon did you meet more of the cast members uh, beyond Rory? And how quickly was weed uh, one of the things you guys bonded? Well, with? first off, at the end of the, so the entire cast, what happened was, like I said, there was like a hundred people at the beginning of the day. At the end of the day, they had sloughed everybody off until the actual cast. So Richard Linklater comes in and he goes, I'm Rick. And we're all like, oh shit. We didn't even know. We thought you were the little assistant in the back of the corner because he was quiet. And he comes in and he goes, you're my cast. So that, that very day is whenever we all met, you know, and we, we sort of bonded immediately. And we were off to Austin within seven days, I think, or something like that. So as soon as we soon as soon as we got to Austin, we were all staying in the same hotel, of course, and um, everybody getting paid the same amount of no money. Um, but we were, <laughs> yeah, but we were there to um, to just appreciate it and sort of the the clicks and the bonds that happened. You know, uh, I immediately bonded with Cole. I immediately bonded with Rory. Um, I fell madly in love. Fell madly in love with uh, my girl. <laughs> <laughs> with who our, our, we're no, on no, the no, edge no. of our seat which no 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 no, no. i just I, I didn't want her to get mad at me i didn't i didn't want if i said uh, uh you know the skinny with the christine harnos she's the one that gives like the whole gilligan's island speech Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of yeah. course, yeah. I Saying thought, how it's like a chauvinistic, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, fantasy. Yeah. So it's called a male pornographic fantasy. Oh my! Think about it. You're basically alone on a deserted island with two readily available women. One, a seductive sex goddess type. The other, a healthy girl next door type with a nice butt. So guys have it all: the Madonna and the whore. And women get nothing. We get a geek. An overweight middle-aged guy, some nerdy scientific type. I mean, the professor is sexy. Pick. Um, we met. What happened was when we were doing the audition that they would actually have uh, every guy and every girl had to play. Uh, every guy had to come in and play Pink. Every girl had to come and play Jody. And so they would do right. these. There was like a kissing scene and all that or whatever. And it was like it was immediate, like boom you know electricity that, yeah so it was so cool that while we were doing days um uh i was able to have my girl with me we stayed in the same room and just you know just you know it was just wonderful mad like 70s like yoko ono and john kind of bullshit you know it was great yeah like yeah. a real onset fling it was great yeah yeah she's one of the great loves of my life she was amazing and it was it, you know it was an amazing experience and when we would have the days off man you know, McConaughey introduced us to like all the rivers and all the lakes and all the stuff like that. And we would just go be on the water all the time. We would just as much as we possibly could. 
What a fun shoot! Oh gosh, man! Oh man! You know, and you, 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 when it's happening, you're 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 not realizing the full effect. Because when we were doing the movie, they were actually kind of treating it as something that kind of was like maybe not going to be that big of a deal, like not seen, like you know, like uh, Sony was had that sort of contract where like if it's good, we'll take credit; if it's bad, you, it's on you. And um, and the truth of the matter is, is that you know, and as I'm sure most people know, is that the movie, it really didn't do well in theaters at all. They didn't. The, the advertising part of it was not great. Um, the the commer- the 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 teaser, the commercial that was on TV, even even somebody that was in the movie, I would see it and I would go, the, the, how could anybody know what the fuck this movie's about? You know, like yeah, how could yeah. you? Yeah. Know? So it bombed. But what happened was. Slowly, um, college dorms got a hold of it, and all of a sudden it was a staple in pretty much every college dorm in the country. Yeah, you know, so it, sometimes it seems like that slow burn actually maybe extended the the legend of this movie because you know it could have come out in 1993, wide release, along with a bunch of other blockbusters and you know teen movies, high school movies, and been a very very good one, but still gotten lost in the shuffle. And instead, it became a cult hit, you know? It had a very, very long tail. I mean, to this day, it's really considered a classic. There are many movies that bombed at the box office, but then truly became classics. And, I mean, there's an unspooled about that movie. You know, that means it's, it's pretty fucking good. It made the cut. Yeah, it, it, tra- it transcends generations, too, because, like, uh, uh, you know, the thing is, is that, is like, you, you know, you would think that something like that would sort of peter out on a, at a certain point, and, like, as soon as the next generation discovers it, they, they, they claim it as their own. It's like every year there's a new generation, a new class of kids that uh, claim it as their own. And uh, I wouldn't have imagined that almost 30 years later that it would still be, you know, as, as, as hot as it is. And I honestly, I, you know, of course, we, you know, I did that a long time ago. I don't really sit down and watch my movies a lot. Every now and then, there's somebody that has never seen it, and I'll go, "Oh gosh, you have to see this movie," and I, I'm as enraptured as they are. I'm like, "Shit, I forgot. This is such a good movie. It is a good movie." You know? Well, I think that cycle that you're talking about of every new generation rediscovering it is also true of weed. Um, and the same way, you often have somebody who introduces you to that world of weed you will have somebody introduce you into this wonderful uh world of that of that film so that was definitely being a college student uh right when it came out and somebody who was in the dorm room with the towel under the door uh that was my experience of it do you remember the first time you saw the film abdullah yeah so you know that's such an incredible time to come across a piece of media like that, especially because there was nothing like it. You know, like we were saying, something where there's regular people just incidentally smoking weed and they're about your age. So I didn't come into the film until later. In 1993, I was like seven or eight years old. And so I didn't see Make it me until... feel older. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like 37. So that's like, I'm not young. But yeah, so, you know, it wasn't until college or I think late high school that it was on TV. You know, it was on TBS or or something, you know, it was played with commercial breaks. 
And I was like, holy shit, this is so good. And I thought it was from the 70s because, honestly, the look of everybody, the vibe, the movie itself, it feels classic. It feels like it's from that time. And I think that's one of the great feats of the film. Me too. And I remember being like, holy shit, like, people in the 70s were just like me. Like, they wanted to do the same things. They wanted to, you know, uh, chat up girls and and get high and, and get drunk and drive around. I mean, that's exactly what we were doing. So... You know, there is this timelessness. It was brand new to me when I saw it in 99 or whatever. Yeah, it, it, I think that the, the, the number one thing that everybody said to me was that I can literally name every person I went to school with from that character to that character to that character. I went to school with that exact same person. Yeah, I, I was a Slater. You were a sl- <laughs> Yeah, big time. With this voice, of course. Bean, did you have a, a type? I would say if you if you melded uh, uh, maybe thirty percent Slater and seventy percent uh, the Adam Goldberg's character. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and his friend maybe the glasses guy. Yeah, you're you're an amalgam. Yeah. Oh man, Anthony Rapp, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Big Broadway actor. Yeah, but I think I, I was probably like a mix between like a like an Anthony Rapp and like a Slater. Oh, so you you weren't a pure pink? No, I wasn't. Uh, I was an athlete, but I was not the like I was not the the big do, the big dog. Well, let's we talked about a lot of like there's these big personalities on screen and a lot of big personalities playing these roles. Um, so maybe let's get back. Can you like, kind of set the scene of what that hotel was like and and how you bonded? And I, I know there was like a rehearsal period before you started filming. Uh, so what was your experience in and around that hotel and that group of people? You know, I think the clicks almost like the same clicks that are in the movie almost immediately happened, uh, almost immediately bonded. Right. And, but what we would do is we would, we would have, uh, you know, rehearsals where we would sort of put the scenes on their feet. And there was a, uh, one of my favorite moments was we actually had a joint rolling class where the people that had to roll joints had to learn how to roll one and not look like an idiot. And that was really fun. <laughs> Was, was uh, your father uh, my phone instructor? I, dude, I said that to them then. I was like, if I would have known we were doing this, I would have got my dad down here. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was like sort of immediately like you the people that it's just you know you know how vibes are you know it's just you you just sort of magnetically bond to the things that you, that you're attracted to and. Uh, the people that became friends became friends, and the people that had relationships had relationships. And there was obviously, you know, you can't get that many young people together without some nefarious bullshit going on. And yeah, so, and we heard that uh, your hotel room was the hot box. It like that's was, where and I down. still to this day, I mean, I guess maybe I'm responsible. But I don't remember being responsible. I guess uh, my room was the one where everybody felt like you're, it was you're safe. You're irresponsible. Yeah. I guess uh, I, for some reason my room was the. And well, I'll say this: people can like poo-poo on it all they want, but it was because we had like guitars and shit in there, so we were playing music yeah. and we were all like. So I think everybody came in there to kind of chill and kind of do that. I, I I didn't drink or anything like that, you know. So I just I, mine was just some smoky smoke. And so, uh, 
to this very day, I don't understand how we didn't get arrested. Yeah, how? How that shit had to be going out into the hall, like, like it had to like. You're in Texas. It had to smoke exactly. We're like, it had to smoke up the entire floor. Like, I don't know how we got away with it, but apparently we got away with it. And so we also had a we also had a boat right there, um, uh, just right there, and we would one of the most fun experiences when we would all get on the boat together and just go off on the river. We had a, you know, a cooler of beer. We had the herb and we would just uh, blast music and just like, just pee on the river for hours and hours and hours at a time. I mean, it was the way, it was the best way of bonding, you know? And just to set the scene a little further, what was the herb like that you were you were getting in Austin at that time? Well, the truth of the matter is, is I think that you can only compare it to what you were getting at the time, right? So we were just happy to have some because um, because I will tell you this: about three weeks in, any supply ran out whatsoever. Like it was literally impossible to get anything and we were all you know a bunch of kids wanting to get you know a couple of little grams or whatever and all of a sudden you guys smoked austin out of all its weed. we smoked austin out of all of its weed yeah. <laughs> and so to to spill a little tea who 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 were the who were the heavy hitters uh at that time on, on among the among the cast yeah we want names um, we're the legends oh i'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> Rory Cochran must have been one of them. I'll tell you what. No, not so much. Huh. The heaviest of all hitters was Mila. Whoa, no <laughs> way. That's incredible. Mila Jovovich. Absolutely. Mila was Mila was a monster. She was she loved it and she was awesome with it and she was great. But she whenever it ran out, she was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Who got deemed the official joint rollers? I, it would have been me for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got the good hands. Yeah, lineage. Well, you know, I got to learn from my dad. You know. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I'm really curious about is the mixtapes. So you know, we've heard about these mixtapes that Richard Linkletter was giving you guys. You know, that had like they were tailored to each character. What was on your mixtape? Do you still have it? Do you still bump those songs? Well. It's impossible to play those songs now because um, they were on tapes. Um, right. But the soundtrack was literally that. And what he did is he said to us, um, he said, uh, don't turn the TV on. Don't watch anything modern whatsoever. Listen to, listen to this music. And so when we would be on the boat or we'd be out by the pool or whatever, the only thing that we would do is we would just be, we would just be playing that music. And you, it just helped you get into the vibe of the whole thing. Uh, so this was like a, a, a Linkletter, in essence, created like an immersive experience for you. This was like Tony and Tina's wedding of the 70s yeah. and weed. And how did that flow into... Uh, actually shooting and how did that how did that atmosphere uh, influence the movie or or influence how you all as actors approached your roles well I think that the safest thing that we had was we had zero idea that it was going to be a great movie or that it was going to be as big as it is we didn't care we loved the roles we loved the opportunity to get to be doing what we were doing and we didn't 
give a flying fuck what was going to happen with it later. Of course, everybody wants your movie to be popular and you want them to love it as much as you do. But if you go into something going, this is going to be an Oscar winner, the, mov <laughs> the movie's not going to be that great. You don't do it that way. You go in a, on a completely humble level where everybody's just so happy to be there. Just so happy to have the opportunity to do what they're doing. And to get to do it in a way with a group of people that you just... You know, I would be watching everyone around me and just be mind blown every day. I mean, the first time McConaughey sat down in the rehearsals and all of a sudden his eyes lowered and he turned into Wooderson, I just went, I'm, I'm watching something... I'm watching history right now, and I knew I was. And I, I went right up to him and I said, bro, I, you know, I don't know even how to say this right now, but I can't wait to watch what happens with your career because whatever it is, the it, you've got it. There are many very, very stony things about the movie, right? And just the way that it's made. One of them is the conversations, the profound conversations had by various characters at various times. And this is like a link letter trope, right? Yes, Waking Life, or really any of his other movies, you know, uh, there's just these lengthy, profound conversations, very, very stony stuff. And I'm wondering, is he really like that? Is he that stonery guy who just loves to go on tangents? He is, but without the stoner part. So no weed for him? No. Interesting. No. He's no. obviously attached to his nostalgia in a big way, but he doesn't smoke. No. No, he did at, you know, one point, I think in high school, maybe. And he sort of kind of got everything he needed from it at that point. And uh, he's an intellectual. He's a brainiac. I don't know if I could, uh, you know, I have enough problems uh, with my own brain spinning every night getting to sleep. I can't imagine how, without uh, Smokers Merb, that that guy sleeps at night. <laughs> you know, when, you, <laughs> when, your brain, when your brain spins on all cylinders like that, I can't imagine how the guy ever gets any sleep at all. But it's what's made him the brilliant man that he is. I mean, it's been the, the most amazing thing is to watch, you know, you know, the boss, you know, he's, he's with more than one Oscar nomination now, you know. McConaughey winning the Oscar. Renee Zellweger, who was an extra, just walking by. What? A two-time <laughs> no two Oscar winner, I believe. I think she's won two. Wait, you can win an Oscar as an extra? I didn't even... Yeah. When we were doing the movie, she was one of the town girls. Yeah. And there, there's the time whenever I take the belt buckle off and I'm smoking or whatever and the hot blonde walks by. That's Renee Zellweger, yeah. man. That's so crazy. I never <laughs> caught that. And also, shout out that belt buckle. Yeah. There are there are two legends, at, at least two legends in that scene. <laughs> tell, yeah. us about, yeah. tell us about the belt buckle. Where did, where did that come from? That was something that um, the, the, the art department just came up, and they, they said, this is your belt buckle. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever, and, um, and uh, loved it. We, we, we had the scene with it, and then at the end of the movie, one of the most you know, th things that I love the most in life is when R Linkletter came up to me, and he goes, I've got something I want to give to you, and he gave it to me. It's in a safe place right now. Good, 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 yeah. You know, th that one, I would say you should, you know, Bust it out and smoke out of it all the time, but you know you no. gotta preserve that. No it's way. a piece of history. No way, no way. Everybody's. I've had. You can't imagine how many times over the years people have said, "Can we please smoke a bullet out of it?" And I go, "Nope." When the Smithsonian eventually uh, <laughs> comes to its senses and opens the weed wing of history, and I hope we'll be there for the 
uh, opening yeah. of that. Uh, but that belt buckle will will be there in for a... the opening. They should be paying us <laughs> yeah. to, to design yeah. that wing. Yeah. <laughs> and how often? How, how how often does like something like so like you know sort of say insignificant and minor in the background become mm -hmm. an iconic thing? And so it's, that's something that I've always really enjoyed that people paid attention to and loved. You know, uh, and, and you know, people pay more attention to that movie than I pay attention to any movie. People know <laughs> people know details about that movie that I probably don't even know. Yeah, it it just begs you to inspect those details because there are so many characters. Because the storytelling is kind of loose, you're constantly looking for those details. Yeah, and then the history that's come after it, all of the the, you know, Anthony Rapp with Rent and that Mister Affleck. A, the Affleck guy, that Mr. Affleck. Affleck guy. So actually, That's, I'm very yeah. curious about... Okay, so like you're saying, there's vibes on the set. There's a lot of bonding. You know, clearly the O'Banion character is a complete asshole. He's almost like the bad guy of the movie in some ways. And this is before Ben Affleck is Ben Affleck. Yeah. What was he like on set? Was he chill? He was, was he amazing. Cool? He was... In, bro, we had such great times. Uh, he was... I can, I can, not a single bad word to be said about him at all. He was just incredible. No back tattoo at that point. No, no back tattoo at that point. <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, I have some pictures. I think that there's some of them in the book, in the All Right, All Right, All Right book, where, you know, we would go to this, like, big hole, water hole, and we would just jump off these cliffs all day, and it would just be all of us just jumping off, and I've got pictures of, you know, Ben, like you know, I've got I've got pictures of everybody, just Sasha, everybody, just you know, in our element and just loving what we were getting to do at the time and having no idea what the future was going to hold. And it's so incredible what's happened to to so many people. It's just you know, it's mind blowing. Awesome. I, I want to backtrack for one quick question because I know with the belt buckle pipe. Uh, there was an interested party, a dazed and confused uh, super fan who uh, tried to put that in his personal collection. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I think that um, I think old QT was a little at the time. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> but no, no. I got to you know he's one of my heroes, and uh, my, my ex-wife Sophia is one of my best friends in life. Um, she she she'd known him for quite a while, and we went to the uh, to the premiere of Machete, and so um, we were invited to go to the green room afterwards and get to hang out with everybody, right? So Rodriguez and everybody. So I look over Ooh. by I look over right by the bar, and uh, Tarantino's yapping away with somebody or whatever, and I grab my wife and I'm like, "Holy shit!" And she goes, oh, my God, I've known Quentin forever. Come get over here. She pulls me over to him, and he immediately, like, looks at her. He says, Sophia, oh, my God. And he grabs her, and he grabs her and hugs her, and he looks over her shoulder and sees me, and he, like, pushes her to the side. <laughs> <laughs> She'll tell you the same story. I'm not lying. She'll tell you the story. Pushes her to the side, and he's like, holy fuck, Jason London. Whoa. You know, Days is like one of my top five movies in the world. He goes, I, he goes, I travel all over the world. And he goes, I take, you know, a few things with me because one of the things I always take with me is my copy of Daisy Confused because no matter what I, where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I can put it on in the background and I'm hanging out with my friends. And I'm like, oh, 
you know, you. It tells you something you, you, about his younger days. <laughs> you, you just made you just made my life, you know, just holy shit. And then so I got to sit there and hang out with, with him for for you know hours. And so he so at the in the moment he goes he goes tell me you have the belt buckle. Tell me you have the belt buckle. I'll give you two hundred grand for it right now. Something something along the lines of. It. And I'm like, I don't have the belt buckle right now. I don't have it. I don't have it right now. <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a pretty ex-wife. Ex-wife has it in a safe somewhere. At, at the very least, though, <laughs> I think that would be an occasion where you would have let him take a hit, probably. And just to round out that story, I know from other reading, um, he wrote the film *Pulp Fiction* in Amsterdam, and he was living in a little one-room apartment by himself. And that is when he started watching Dazed and Confused over and over again. And as you said, having that experience of, oh, I have a, this social life with my friends to break up uh, the monotony yeah. of sitting there uh, uh, writing yeah. this movie all by himself. Yeah. And, and the Dutch are amazing people, but they're not like the most exciting crowd. So maybe he was <laughs> sure, just trying yeah. to... And that's why Vincent Vega had just returned from Amsterdam in Pulp Fiction. Right, right. Okay, so tell me again about the hash bar. Okay, what you wanna know? Hash is legal now, right? Yeah, it's legal, but ain't 100% legal. I mean, you just can't walk into a restaurant, roll the joint, and start puffing away. I mean, they want you smoking your home or certain designated places. And those are hash bars. Yeah, it breaks down like this, okay. It's, it's legal to buy it, it's legal to own it. And if you're the proprietor of a hash bar, it's legal to sell it. It's legal to carry it, but, but, but that doesn't matter, because Get a load of this, all right. If you get stopped by a cop in Amsterdam, it's illegal for them to search you. I mean, that's the right that cops in Amsterdam don't have. Oh, man, I'm going. That's all there is to it. I'm fucking going. <laughs> no, baby, you dig it the most. <laughs> well, let's let's take it back to let's take it back to Austin and 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 the filming of the movie. I have a little I have a little game for you. you your character, uh, Randall Pink Floyd, smokes weed on screen. Five times in the movie, uh, and and Abdul, I'll throw it open to you. I as had well. no idea. I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I didn't so, know the number. I didn't. I, that's that's. I just learned something. So let me see how many how many can you can you come up with from 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 memory? He can't even remember the first one. <laughs> that's how stoned it, you were. <laughs> it would have been in the car with McConaughey the first time, right? Yes. Oh no, that's not the first, but that is one of them. That is one. Well, of them. because we're at school. We're at school for. We're. At, it's, I haven't seen this fucking movie in a long time, guys. <laughs> the belt buckle might be the first, right? Is, is the belt buckle the first hit? The the first one is when you are buying weed uh, from Pickford at Pickford's house. Oh, right. You take what's known as a sampling puff. Right, right, yeah. right. Make make any, sure that any we... good drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. His dad knocks on the door, and you know what? I gotta say something. I think that the real victim in this movie is Mrs. Pickford. They had the car loaded up. She was ready. She's oh like, my We're god! Going away she's like, and she's like, whatever his name was. She's like, Carl, Carl, yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. Were you going to have a party here tonight, son? I don't know what that was all about. Start unpacking. We're not going anywhere. Frank. Fuck. 
Yeah. And she's really, she gets totally screwed because just to prevent this party, <laughs> her husband's like, your weekend is uh, I gotta watch You're this movie here. again. I gotta watch this movie again. Plus, she's married to a guy who seems kind of like a dick with a son who yeah. borders on uh, Prickfordness. Yeah, don't get me started on Prickford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because so he was supposed to be a much more major storyline and character in the film. But apparently, uh, he was uh, just not that cool. We're going to take that silence. <laughs> so the second yeah. time... Yeah, but for our listeners, Jason smoke, has a look on his face. <laughs> yeah. The second time you smoke on screen is, is hitting the belt buckle outside the Emporium. Was that in the script? hit the belt buckle or did you just know that was the time well it was it was us having that moment and and i'm 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 pretty sure at that time rick said this is the perfect time to hit that belt buckle i'm I'm sure that that was probably what happened i don't think it was in the script but yeah and so he would just sit back and let us kind of free flow with stuff and then once he would set like he 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 and the, the dp they would say okay here's where we're doing a thing we would we would get up, and we would we would put the scene on its feet as we call it or whatever you know, and then man, if something naturally came out of us that that was cool, he would be like, yes, keep that, and so th- something like that. Maybe maybe I grabbed the pipe and did it, you know, in that moment. Uh, you know, I don't I don't really remember, but um, he just sort of let us. You know, one of the first things he said, he goes, I didn't cast you to act uh, these roles. I cast you because you are these roles. Come in and just be you. And so we would get to come in and just sort of like play around with stuff. And so speaking of of the role of Pink in in particular, he really feels like the moral center of the film in a lot of ways, right? Like he's the one who, who doesn't wail on Carl Burnett when he has the chance. He breaks up the fight. Right, and he's sort of like he is ostensibly the good guy. Is that yeah. something you identify with personally? What was oh, it yes. like? You know, Absolutely, being that person? I've always been that way. That was that was me. That, that, I, I I wouldn't be able to be anything other than that. I, I could never uh, intentionally be an O'Banion. I could never intentionally be you know, even a Wooderson man. I was never that damn cool. And I and another thing too is like not being you know. There's no bitterness about it whatsoever. But it's interesting that you know. So many of the other characters got so much more attention. So many of the other actors got so much more attention um, than me, and or, or than Pink, and because I think that he was a sort of like centerpiece that people like. They they glommed onto everything else around him, but he sort of kind of went somewhat unnoticed, other than for like girls that like guys in tight pants, <laughs> <laughs> and guys who like. Uh, guys, yeah. guys, and, 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 I've got plenty I'm, of that attention. Yeah, yeah. Quite and sure. non-binary people who yeah. like guys. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. and I would <laughs> thank you. And I would also say, you know, Pink makes the choice in the film. This, if the film is about anything specific, it is about this authoritarian attempt to impose this uh, contract upon Pink to limit his freedom and to basically be another hypocrite and sign that pledge. Right. You know, and to me, the football team essentially stands in for unwarranted authority of any kind. Yeah, the man. The man. They're not telling him how to play football. 
they're telling him how to live his life and he rejects that and i think that is another thing in the film where, where it's not specifically about weed it uses weed as a metaphor for personal liberty and it shows correct that yes. the, the mindset mm, yes. that wants to limit that yes um and so this actually rolls into sort of the most anti-authoritarian uh of your scene smoking weed because i gotta get through all five <laughs> We promise. <laughs> we promise, people. Uh, the scene where you're smoking a joint and out destroying mailboxes and like so much ah, teenage right. rebellion. Uh, you know, it's sort of pointless but kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, what a dickhead thing to do. <laughs> Although I do have a question. So, did you actually nail that one mailbox? Oh yes. Or was that a stunt person? Oh no, no. it was you. Oh yes. Oh, that was me. I, I, I That's nailed, awesome! I nailed the shit Kudos out of that. Kudos to you. I nailed the shit out of that thing. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I really love in that scene that, you know, Mitch sort of looks at Pink in this way like, oh, like, you can be bad too, you know what I mean? And and it is like, uh, it, it's a very revealing uh, cut, you know what I mean? When you see that, that reaction, he's just like, oh, this guy that I look up to is also like doing something so bad, right, you know right. what I mean? And it's exciting to right. him, and then he... Throws the bowling ball yeah. into the back of the car. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Nice I, shot, I, man. Oh man, it, 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 that was a really fun night of shooting. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed um, when we pull up to the pull up to the convenience store and we do the whole thing where he goes inside and they run out, you know, run out like they've stolen it, but they haven't. And our stunt coordinator was the guy that comes up to the window and he's like, you got my mailbox. Oh. You know, like, uh, and so we had a great time with him. He was an amazing guy. And so, uh, you know, we really got to like go, you know, just go balls to the wall with that one. It was, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, you had a good uh, experience with uh, the audition where, you know, a joint was sort of thrust upon you and, and you got the role. Did you... Did you experiment with uh, smoking before you were in any of the scenes in the movie? I'll tell you this. The the very, very first time ever in my career that I had ever smoked before a scene was that scene where I'm walking down the... We're at the baseball game, and they're wanting to go out and beat the boy's ass, and I'm walking down, and that old man comes up, and he goes, you ready to do throw for a million miles this year? That kind oh, of thing, yeah. Right? <laughs> nice old couple. It was this yeah. old couple, and they're, they're really a married couple, and they were right there from Austin and whatever, just the sweetest old couple. And I had just gone out in the woods, uh, probably with Rory. I have no idea. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but it's probably, you know, most likely. Um, but I just, it was the first time I had ever, like, actually puffed before doing a scene. And I remember being up there, their little stadium lights were on. I'm there with the old people. We got all the cameras and the lights and everything set up. And I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. That's why in the, you see that scene, you watch me in that scene, you'll see why I'm so happy. Because I was so happy. It was, the, it was, yeah, it was the coolest thing ever. I loved it. 
So another another scene I really wanted to talk about from your perspective in the film, which is kind of one of the most legendary filming nights of all time, in, at least in, in my perception of it, is the Moon Tower. Because uh, I know that you, you really shot all night to do that. What was that like? It was exactly what it looks like. So when we're climbing that thing, like... I mean, literally, like, you know, he makes the joke of, you know, a kid fell down and he busted his head the whole time and did it. Like, yeah. that really could have happened to any of us at, that, at any given time. When we're hanging off the edge, we're really hanging off the edge of that thing. And so, Crazy. you know, there was something magic about that scene where uh, Rory looks out and he's like, you know, imagine how many people are fucking out there right now. Which is a funny line uh, in all. But the truth is, is that the, what we were able to look at and what we were able to see was actually really magic. I, I wasn't really thinking about people having sex. I was actually being like, this is, this is amazing, you know? Yeah. And also, shout out Rory. I know you mentioned this earlier in the interview, but when he talks about George Washington growing weed and Martha Washington being a hip lady, he's telling a great moment in weed history. He's doing exactly what we do on he his show. He absolutely is. It's a fact that he grew hemp. You know, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really quite sure that Martha would load him a bowl, but uh, <laughs> because they because you know traditional hemp is for very different and not smokable. You, go ahead and take your common garden rope and just smoke that. That's what you're gonna the headache you're gonna get. Yeah. One of those necklaces from back yeah. in the day. Yeah. But that's how people look at the weed from the uh, the 70s and the 90s and how we look at the weed from the Oh, 70s. man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I will say this, um, and, and, and I've said this before, so hopefully I won't get in trouble for it, but we did, we had the, the very last shot of the movie is actually the very last shot that we did uh, for the entire shoot. And it's the one where we're going to the Aerosmith concert and we're in the car and we're smoking a joint. Um, mm-hmm. we, we were That's on, the last time. We were on a pool trailer. And so the, the director and everybody else, they're up in front of us. The wind is going this way. So Rory pulls out a real joint. And that last joint, in yeah. the, that last joint in the movie is actually a real joint. Hell yeah! What a fitting ending. Because what, what were they? They weren't gonna. What were they gonna do? Fire us at that point? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a tough reshoot. <laughs> and so, how did that feel? You're, you know, I'm sure a lot of mixed emotions. You're filming the last uh, scene. You're getting actually high. I mean, put put us in that car with you. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? It. Um. Um. There's this incredible sense of uh, sadness that happens whenever you know that it, an experience that you've just gone through is over. And whenever we were, re- we truly realized that this is the last day of us doing this. This is the, my last day of being Randall Pink. This is the last day of him being Slater. This is the last day of us as a team. There's this incredible sense of like, you know, uh, when you go to camp and you leave camp and you're sad that you're not going to see your camp members anymore, that was kind of what it was. I mean, we knew that we were going to stay close as friends, but getting to do this this particular project together was just, you know, something special. And and once it was over, you just shit, it's over. You know. Little did we know, <laughs> it wasn't even close to over. <laughs> Almost 30 years later, we're talking about it right now. 
Yeah, that's that's it's really like uh, I really feel that Quentin Tarantino feeling. I I just rewatched it and it 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 did feel like reconnecting with friends and reconnecting with a time and place. And I think that's the lasting appeal, uh, certainly for me. I I do wonder this. Uh, are have you gotten some nice weed gifts in the uh, ensuing years from so, fans of the film? So, so this is what would happen. Um, uh, certainly in person, uh, I have. Um, but w- all of a sudden, my agent started getting like ounces of weed mailed to <laughs> to the agency, and of course, the first thing they did is threw it straight down to the mailboys. Because they're like, no, I'm not giving this to my client. There could be anything in that. Who knows what's in that? There's no way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Probably just weed, but <laughs> it, it was. It, it was. I probably missed out on a lot of good weed uh, on that. But it, it was smart that he did that. But you know, there's. I of, of course one of the things that is a re- recurring thing, and I, I, I can't Those say. Mailroom boys are like. We love Jason. Love oh man, they deserve. The first off, they did, dude, the 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 grips and the electrics. And male boys, they all deserve so much weed. Yeah, they just deserve it, man. The best thing you can do, like if you're, you know, producing a sort of low budget, low budget project, and you just don't have a lot of money to pay people or whatever, give those boys a bag. You know. Yeah. Like, no, Bean and, and I like, did a weed show for you know many years, and we always got everybody high if they wanted to get high. Yeah. At every level, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's how that's how you make a show, man. Yeah, it was because it's, it's when everybody, you know, as long as you don't, and my, you know, it's one of my main rules is this: is that is that look, you know, I'm down for anybody doing whatever they want, but if it impairs your ability to do your job, then I have a problem with it, you know. And then you're gonna go, you know, sit out in the corner for a minute, and drink some water, and, and come back to life. But I, but you know. I'm down. I, I have no problem with people like having a little puff at lunch or whatever, but um, you know, j- just if you show up, phys- you know, vis- visibly impaired, like it's just it's not cool. And so for me, yeah. so you got to stay professional. You know, no matter what we do, you know, we all love to have a puff. And now that it's legal and all the places where we are, and well, I'm in Mississippi. Maybe not so much. Here. Um, <laughs> It's about to be there. It is medically, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Mississippi is also the only place in America with a federally legal grow. Isn't that right, Bean? Yeah, it's at UMiss. Uh, and yeah. they've, been, they've been growing there since the 70s. Yeah, and it's the worst fucking weed ever. But And that's what they use to, you know, test for all of the federally sanctioned studies, of which there are like eight in the last fucking 60 years. Uh, but there is the only federally legal weed in America is in your state. But you're smoking something better. We are sure of it. As as Abdullah said, the quality uh, government cheese is to cheese as oh, government yeah. weed is to weed. The, you are that was so eloquently put. That's exactly right. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Beautiful. Well. That's an absolutely incredible story. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This was, this was, hey man, uh, guys, awesome. Thank you so much, man. Thanks so much for being with us, Jason. Appreciate it. Oh, any, anytime, guys.
Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.